Thanks, Cam. Thanks, team. Fantastic. Fantastic. Um, hey, so th- this morning um, I have been preparing all week to, to ha- make a few comments about the, um, the series that we launched, that Josh, our teaching pastor, la- launched last year, um, that we're using this phrase, there is a river. It points to uh, what we see in Scripture is this, um, this kind of metaphor, this, this thread that runs right through Scripture of a picture of a river that brings life. It's like an invitation to experience God as a river that renews and revitalizes, and it's all the way through Scripture. And we're gonna, um, we just really believe not not just as an interesting study of of what God says in Scripture, but because we believe it's an invitation to experience this theology. Good theology at its best is an invitation to experience something of God. I once heard someone say that um, you know theology. Our views about God is like a window through which we can see God. And it's there or a door for us to reach through and experience that rather than just to watch. And so good theology, as we look into Scripture and we understand this, it's an invitation to experience something. Um, And I was going to share a few thoughts about that. And next week, Josh is going to actually launch into the series as we go through uh, the year. But... As throughout the week, and the more I was uh, reflecting on these guys, their time with us, and then also realising that in the next few weeks, we're going to be talking quite a lot about, uh, um, about Cornerstone, our investment, involvement, engagement with global mission, stuff that happens in the name of Jesus overseas. Um, so, of course, we've got these guys with us, which has been fantastic. In a couple of weeks... Um, there's going to be a group of us, a team that are going to, again, to um, Central Asia, to Turkey, actually, to be a part of the Arise Conference. And in, I think, two or three weeks, Joy's not here this morning, so Joy um, Greats has been sort of leading that. But there's actually also the Grangers are going to go as well, and Truda is going. There's someone else who are... Jenny. Jenny is going, of course. Yeah, where's Jenny? Somewhere in the kitchen. Um, so that, that, they're going over. Last year we had a group as well. I mean, it's an amazing thing where women all through, originally started through Central Asia, um, women who most often are coming and uh, who are believers but are living out their faith in environments and in homes that aren't conducive to faith. And this is obviously the experience these guys are going through. Arise has been a... Um, It's more than a conference. It's been sort of a network, a thing that has bubbled up to equip and empower these women. Um, It's amazing. The more I hear about it, the more it it blows me away. So that team's going over. In a couple of weeks, you're going to hear about that. And then at the end of March, I'm actually going with Rob and with Alan and with Paul Robinson. Um, We're going to Cambodia. So the Cornerstone has been engaged and invested in a number of things. I'll talk about it in a little while. in the nation of Cambodia. And I'm really looking forward to going getting on the ground and sort of seeing there's, a, like I said, a number of things we've been engaged with there and supporting. And some of those are sort of at a bit of a crossroads and we're seeing, well, what's, the, what's our next, what's our part to play? And so I realised, man, there's, there's, this is like, a, it's a bit like a missions month almost, although we didn't really name it that. Um, and so I want to talk about, not about missions, but about mission. Uh, I want to give a bit of a framework of why and how we engage as a church, particularly overseas, 
but also how that um, is hand in glove with what we do here in our community and nation. So I'm going to start by telling you quite possibly the most embarrassing story of my life. Um, now you're interested. Now, now I've got your attention. I've shared a little of my, I'm sure over uh, time, and some of you know my backstory of my faith. I grew up um, actually in the northwest suburbs of Brisbane, grew up in a Christian home, went to church, Rana Hills Uniting Church, great little church. I spent most of my, particularly my teenage years, really not buying it or not really engaged. I kind of, you know, I, at, the, at the very least was sort of passive, but particularly in the latter part of my teens, really trying to ignore <laughs> what I knew to be true. I had, um, when I was 17, I just finished school, I went away to a youth event, I've shared this story before, and had a really significant kind of encounter where I went, ah, oh, that's who Jesus is. I, I'm, I can give my life to that. And it was sort of a, I'm not even sure, I'll check when I get to heaven. I'm not sure if it was a recommitment or a first time commitment. It was just massively significant and my life has shaped since then. It's gone in direction since then. Um, on the night after I kind of went, yes, I'm in, I, I, had, I was having, and partly because it was this great environment with hundreds, I think thousands of young people, was in Toowoomba at the time. There was a big open air kind of thing in Queen's Park, you know Queen's Park in the middle of Toowoomba? Um, it's a big open air thing, Tony Campolo was a speaker, and I was experiencing that zeal of, like, I'm in, and the Holy Spirit was absolutely working, I'm like, I'm on fire, I'm zealous, I'm, all of that stuff of that first faith, it's just all bubbling up in me, super excited, end of the night, sort of crowds dispersing, through the middle of Queen's Park, these two girls who were not that much older, they were probably older, they may be 19, 20, walked through, and they just happened to be walking through Queen's Park, and saw that there was this Christian thing going on, and just probably for a bit of a laugh, just started yelling out, worship Satan, yay Satan, worship, I, I don't think, I'm, in fact I'm sure they weren't saying this, but you Christian, zealous, eager to prove it, <laughs> right, I've locked on, this God, I'm in, it was like God had given me his first assignment, and I'm in, and so they, that, now they were just sort of, and then they just kept walking. So I just got in behind and I just started walking behind. Okay, and then I realised, what am I doing? Well, I'm just, I'm just following these people. So then, for some reason, and this is where it gets even weirder, I decided that the most effective thing I would do, the most powerful thing, would be to sing. Uh, sing, yeah, yeah. Uh, now, this is the early 90s. In fact, this is 1990. So we've not had this wonderful worship revolution where we get all these great songs. I had the yellow book and the blue book and the brown book. Who's with me? Who remembers? <laughs> Who remembers the battle? The, the yellow book, which was the height of hipdom. Shine, Jesus, shine. You can only sing that so many times, and I did. And so then I'm reaching into the blue book, which were, and then I, I mean, I was so desperate after, because they just kept walking, and I just kept singing for some reason. And so I was even in the brown book. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together. Remember? I mean, these are the songs. And I was about to reach into the Australian hymn book because I was out of ideas. I mean, you get arrested for this stuff these days. You really, I was stalking them. I was stalking them. And after, I kid you not, after about, I reckon it was an hour of walking behind them way too close, singing these songs in exasperation, um, 
the, one of the girls turned around, what are you doing? <laughs> and I had nothing. <laughs> I had nothing at all. And I, I can't even remember. It was so insignificant, I can't even remember what I mumbled. And then I just copped a torrent of well-deserved abuse coming back at me and uh, it's Christians and da 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 And as they then turned and walked away, I, I had two feelings. One, I realised that actually the bus, I was staying 15 kilometres outside of Toowoomba and the bus had gone an hour ago. So I had plenty of time as I walked 15 kilometres to where I was staying that night to reflect. And there was these two things that happened. One was this sense of, and I'm ashamed to say, although it's kind of, I'm reconciled with this, there was this sense of great pride that I'd just been persecuted for my faith. <laughs> I was a real Christian because I just got persecuted for my faith. Even then, even in that sort of the zeal of that moment, there was something within me that I would later reflect upon that kind of went, did you? Or did you just get persecuted because you're an idiot? <laughs> there was something inside of me then that kind of said, yeah, I'm not sure that they were affronted by the gospel and just more affronted by a Christian who was over-enthusiastic. As I kind of ref reflected on that, it was significant. That was right at the start of what I identify as sort of this journey that has led, you know, God has worked with that. And I don't know if it's a ch chicken egg thing, whether God, I mean, I, I'm sure it wasn't God's plan um, for me to stalk in the spirit. Those, <laughs> those poor <laughs> girls. Um, sure, God, can, yeah, could God use that moment? Did he? Absolutely. That's a statement about God, not a statement about me and my wisdom in that moment. And I absolutely uh, believe that. But I felt like God, from when I was in, okay, I believe this. I'm, I'm going, I was all in. And it has always been a preoccupation. It's always been a significant part of my faith and then my time involved in, from there I was um, involved in beach missions and uh, SU camping and thinking about how does the truth of who Jesus is and what it means to me, how does that engage the world around me? How do I do that? It's always been important. It's actually been shaping and then high school chaplaincy and then into youth pastoring and um, leading churches and being involved in Christian um, with, with World Vision and with Red for all these. It's all sort of stemming back to this thing about how do we get this right? Well, how do we do this? Because if it's, if it's this important to me, it's, it must be this important to the world. But how do we do that? Um, and, and, you know, I, I, I want to suggest we we'll throw that... Um, PowerPoint up, Daisy. Thinking about, you heard me talk about before about our involvement in global mission. And you might have, I've talked about some of this stuff before. You might have been around churches a long time uh, or have heard people refer to someone as a missions person. Or that's a real missions church. Or there are missions. OM is a missions organisation. That S is very significant. Usually when we use that S, the missions person, we are referring to the kind of activity that happens overseas. So if you're a missions person or a missions church, it's like you're really passionate about what God is doing and, and communicating the gospel overseas. And make no mistake, I think that's absolutely, it's not, it's not an optional extra for your life as a believer. It's not an optional extra for the church. Um, but how that fits 
in the broader context of what is God doing on the planet? What is God's expectations for me as a believer, for us as a church, and then the wider church? I think it's really significant. And like I said, from that point, from that moment of, you know, really doing, I I know what not to do. (laughs) Um, It's been a project, a lifelong project, to try and understand the big picture and then to understand my place in that. And then the realm as I've grown in leadership and uh, and things, the, the things that I am responsible for. And uh, we've talked about some of this before. We've talked about a lot of this before. There's someone once said, I forget who it was, that people, don't, people need to hear a message or an idea nine times before they can incorporate and understand it. So there's a very temp- real temptation to preach this message or similar ones nine times in a row, nine weeks in a row. That's not good for you or, uh, you or me uh, in doing that. But I do want to, um, there will be some ideas here that we're going to briefly touch on because I think it's helpful as we, particularly in the next month, but move forwards as a church, continue to engage overseas to understand how that fits, how I see and how I believe. And I'm convinced in scripture it says that that fits in the bigger picture of what God's up to. So, oh, here we go. Turn it on. Ready for this. No surprises. I'm going to the boats. (laughs) I love these boats. They're not boats, they're ships. Um, I ha- I've referred to them. I'm sure I've done the... I'm sure I've put the image... This is more than nine. This is at least nine. And get used to it. I find this a really helpful uh, metaphor, um, really important, particularly when we're talking about the church. So, very, very quickly, I'll give the thumbnail sketch. Two vessels, in some ways very, very similar. And on both of them, there's people and activity that are almost identical. There's people on both of those. So one's a Coast Guard vessel. You could put a, like a, a, a Navy frigate there or something uh, of that ilk. The other's obviously a cruise liner. People on there that their role is to concern, be concerned about um, that people are being fed, that people know what, what's happening, people working on the engines, people um, making sure the, it's going in the right direction. There's on those, because, of their, because they're vessels... There's things that have to happen that are very, very identical. Not for a moment would you be ever confused if you're on a cruise liner that you were on a Navy ship, would you? Or would you ever be confused if you found yourself on a Navy ship? You go, is this a cruise liner? They're completely different, aren't they? You'd never be confused. What is the thing? Here we go. Here's the test. What is the thing that is the differentiator? Given that they're so similar, what's the thing that makes them so different? It's purpose. It's mission, what it exists for. And I would suggest to you the cruise liner, and I'm still waiting for someone to bless uh, me with a cruise because I'm not bagging anyone who goes on the cruise. In fact, I'm just keep preaching this message until someone sends me on a cruise. (laughs) But that cruise ship exists, you could say, for only the people on the ship. It only exists for the people on the ship. Whereas actually you could say that the Coast Guard vessel or the Navy frigate actually only exists for people not on the ship. And interestingly, I would argue, it's, it makes things like, are, are the people on the ship well-fed? Are they in good spirits? Are they connected and have a sense of team? It makes, its sense of mission actually makes it more important, those things, because it has a sense of purpose. So you get the point. We could, in terms of a church, what kind of church are we? Well, it'll be shaped by the sense of mission. But here's the thing. What's our mission? Good question. We can look at the church historically 
and kind of go, well, we should be a part of what the church has always done. But it's always more beneficial for us to go back to first principles and say, what is the mission? Let's drop the S for the moment. What is the mission of the church? And like I said, this has been something that has always felt deeply important for me as a believer and then as a, a, you know, in my roles in the, in the body of Christ. Well, it makes sense. Whose, whose church is it, would we say? It's Jesus' church. So well, we think we would agree, I hope we would agree, that Jesus gets to answer that question and our job is to figure out how he answers that question. Fortunately, he not just answered it, he lived it. So all we've got to do is to go back and, and witness. And I think there's three questions we can say. What? what in terms of the mission, what does Jesus do? How, uh, why does he do it? Why, why is, what's the big whys that shape his life and his ministry and all he does? And then how? And there absolutely could be, and I would love to preach nine sermons on this, but I've got about nine minutes. So I'm giving you a thumbnail sketch here. And again, we'll, we'll continue to back up over this because it's, I can't think of too many things that are more important. And I feel like there's a context thanks to the McClure's. And I'm so thankful for the McClure's and Arise. It seems, I no, this is actually exactly the time to talk about this stuff. So it has a context that it's real. It's not just a nice theological, biblical study or whatever. Where do we go? Where does Jesus answer that? Well... I think there's a temptation. There is, and it's, it's useful to go to the end of his life. He says things like the Great Commission, which he says, I'm uh, sending you out at the start of Acts. There's all these things, but I actually want to suggest you go to the start. You go to the start. We've done this before. Here's revision. Luke 4, right at the very start. Jesus is still really largely unknown. He spent 30 years being a nobody, really. History doesn't record anything significant about him. But then something happens. And right at the very start of this, he has this experience where he goes out into the wilderness. You remember this? And it's like, it's like a, a bit of a testing or a proving time. He has this, this weird engagement with the adversary, the enemy, who tempts him with all sorts of things. It's a bit like Satan knows what's coming. He's going to get in early and see if he can derail him. But in the proving, in, in, in Jesus kind of responding and saying, no, there's a higher and a better way than what, all the temptations of the world, I'm doing something other. It sort of authenticates him in his role and who he is as Jesus, fully man, fully, fully divine. He comes out of that and it's like he preaches his inauguration address. It's like his first sermon. And he reaches for Isaiah and he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery for sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. I think that's a mission statement. That answers, that answers why. Why? The spirit of the Lord is on me. The, the, the same, the spirit of God that's been active through history is on me now. And that's why he reaches into Isaiah to connect who he is with what God's always done. He says he's on me. To do what? Well, to do these things. And these things here, they have a spiritual, you can read them through a kind of a spiritual lens, but I want to encourage you to read them through a very pragmatic, practical lens. In fact, you have to ignore the rest of Jesus, what he does, to just read it sort of spiritually. He seems very concerned about people's lives and how they are and what they're doing. And so here he, he says, this is a mission statement. Interestingly, Matthew records the same. This is the beauty of the Gospels. When they weave together, they give us a full picture. Matthew has the same 
um, point in history, when, when Matthew records the same point in history, so Jesus has just come in from the desert, it doesn't give the detail, it refers to Isaiah, it doesn't give the detail there, but it has this statement. And this is really important. This is what I want to zero in. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. If there was like, if Jesus was doing a t-shirt or if he on his ministry website, which for some reason he didn't think was important, but go figure. We know better these days. You need, you need a website. Anyway, if there was a tagline, it would be repent for the kingdom of God is near. He this is a phrase or a, or a version of that he repeats. He often, when he's going to give a parable or a sermon, he says this line or a variation of it, the kingdom of heaven is like this. Now, he's not saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven in brackets, the place in the clouds that you go to when you die. He's not saying that. Matthew uses the phrase, the kingdom of God. It's interchangeable. Kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. He's not saying, gee, you guys are getting old and really close. You better get your get-out-of-jail-free card. He's saying, actually, something much deeper than that. The kingdom of God, the realm, the place in which the thoughts, values, the way of God are held as the highest authority, because that's a kingdom, right? In a kingdom, the king's authority is the highest. So the kingdom of heaven is the realm, the space, geographical, metaphysical, where actually God's ways are the highest ways, where God rules and reigns. I'm here to tell you from that night, um, or the night before in the middle of Toowoomba, the realm of the kingdom of God extended to Graham Clark. I now became very concerned about what God thought about my life. He was what Jesus thought. And so his realm has extended to my heart. And I was trying to live out of that. And here Jesus is, he's come to declare the kingdom of God is near to you. Not you're about to die. It's like you could reach out. And actually, I remember Charles preaching a sermon on this years ago that blew my mind when he did that thing or that he does, where he goes into the Greek and he gives you all the depth of it. And that, that, the language of it is near to you, the sense in the original Greek is you could almost reach out and touch. It's almost a bit of a wordplay. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is near to you. You could reach out and touch it. It's available. It's open to you. It's not closed to you. And for generations of people following God who felt like that they had to live a certain way and fulfil all these laws and all this stuff, they've, a lot of people that Jesus spent time felt like the kingdom of heaven, of God, was closed to them. Unless, da 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 And Jesus is saying, no, no, no. It's very close to you. It's available to you. He's also saying, if you want to know what it's like, watch me. He came to declare and demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like when love comes to town, <laughs> when it takes up residence. And that is everything. Evangelism is important because it's a demonstration that extends the kingdom of God. Um, uh, community development acts of love and compassion, they're important because it demonstrates what it looks like when you prioritise what God thinks about people. It's not that it earns you a right to then talk about it. It's the same, it's the same coin. The declaration and demonstration, two sides of the same coin. The kingdom of God is near. And so as he then continues to declare it, he speaks. I love... I love uh, 
what Ben, and as we've talked, about the idea of bold proclamation. Originally when he was sort of saying, yeah, we really feel he was using this phrase, and I'm not sure, I didn't hear it properly until he said, I'm not saying we're going to stand on the street corner. Because what I was hearing was he's going to be following people singing behind him in Azerbaijan. <laughs> it's like, brother, I'm not sure. But I love what he's saying. Is, no, we're prepared to put at risk, to have conversations that put at risk our well-being. Particularly when we, and, and as he's explained to me, when we see God's at work in someone's life, we're going to step out and lean into that conversation, even in a place and a way that puts us at risk. That's bold proclamation. I love that. It's gotten, now, you can do that in so many different ways. I love the fact that if we go to... Um, let me do, 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 do. So we've got this engagement here in... Um, in Central Asia and particularly moving forward, Azerbaijan has been in Turkey with the McClure's and Arise. And in there, what Arise is doing is very, very different. It's very, very different in, in, the, in the way in which um, the kind of activity that they're doing. And they've got to be really, really careful about what they say and how they do it. But you can't tell me that when you bring, when they're shipping these women in from all over Central Asia who live in really oppressive environments trying to live out their faith and spend the whole week pouring into and blessing them and, and loving them and um, equipping them, that that's not a demonstration of the kingdom of God. If we go to, uh, to Cambodia, there's lots of different things that we've been engaged in there. So Sarah Du is the missionary that we've been supporting for some time. She's been in uh, Cambodia. Is it 20 years? Is it, I think it's... It's beyond 20 years she's been there. Um, Ankan Village. Now, Sarah does a lot of proclamation. She does, she does evangelism in a very unique way because of the context. Um, in Ankan Village, historically, this is before my time, a lot of the projects we've been involved in is like making a road. Literally just making a way that people can enter in and out of a village. Now, you, we don't need to... This is, this is the point I want to get across here. We don't need to answer, but how many people have become Christians because of that road? Well, the answer might be a lot. We don't actually really know. But we are not going to justify our engagement in demonstrating that in the kingdom of God, people can get to travel more easily so that commerce enters. Can people, you know, people can move in and out so things can, people can access the village and come out of the village. In the kingdom of God, there are roads and people get to move freely. We don't need to justify that by then saying, yeah, but how many people gave their life to Jesus? Because it's the, it's the equal side of the same coin. Again, there's a pepper farm, which has been, it's like a microenterprise. Now, I'm sure that the people, the reasons that people have been doing that is got some, there's lots of things that people come to faith, but again, just microenterprise. In the, in the kingdom of God, people earn living. You know, and so it doesn't need to be justified by something else. The declaration and demonstration of the kingdom of God. That's the mission of God in the world. And it is such a privilege. And I'm so thankful as I was thinking about this, about how not one of those things there, CGA is the organisation that's, again, it's a Christian development organisation, does a lot of, I'm going to learn more about it, but as I understand they do a lot of sort of water sanitation projects and things like that, Rob. That's a really practical thing. Guess what? In the kingdom of God, you can drink water and not get sick. And we just think that's good. It's not, 
you can drink water and get sick so that then we can have a conversation. Who are these nice people doing that? Oh, let's talk about Jesus and it was all worth it. No, no, it's just worth it if people can drink water and not get sick. That's a demonstration of what happened when love comes to town. So that's what frames us. And I'm so thankful that we're a church that's, got, that's so different. That's because actually, and this is the thing about what our engagement in global mission does, is it feeds back to us exactly what uh, Ben and Christy were talking about, of why it's a great idea for you to go on that, um, what did you call them, the, the trip? And short-term the short-term outreach. It's a great idea for you to go back because you'll learn something. You'll probably, you'll probably make it more difficult for them. Sometimes we can go on these things and we think we're, we're in, in we ride from the west on our white horse coming to help people. You'll actually make it more difficult for them to do their work, but they're opening up because they realise there's something bigger that actually will get a blessing back here. Our engagement in mission overseas is not necessarily because we think we've got something that folks in Cambodia or in Central Asia don't have. It's because God's up to something and we want to be a part of it. Here's the thing I want to land with and just give you one or two more minutes. So that's answering a little bit of the, the, the why and the what of the mission of God. It's a declaration and demonstration of the kingdom of God. You know, the best way, I think, answer the question, what does love look like here and now? What's the most loving thing I could do? When I went on my little spiritual stalking thing there in Toowoomba, I was not trying to answer the question, how do I love these? How do I demonstrate love to these women right now? They were actually, it was all about me, if I'm really honest. It was all about me. And we were talking about this during the week and Josh used a great phrase. Instead of them, them being the objects of my Christ-like love, they were the subjects of my spiritual assignment. And guess what? We've reached a time with Australian culture, I can't speak from where they're done with that. Australian culture's done with feeling like that. We haven't quite yet caught up, but I think we are. Took me a long time. I'd like to say I learned a lesson on that night, and, but I was going to do many similar things after that where actually I engaged with and, and acted under and in the name of Jesus when it was much more about me rather than answering what's the most loving thing I could do. Guess what? If you keep loving someone and if you're in their life, eventually there's going to be a conversation where the most loving thing you can do is to tell them about the greatest truth in your life. There will be an opportunity. But my, the way I answered that question closed down any opportunity. I never got that opportunity for that again. Whereas maybe if I'd, who knows, if I'd interacted differently, it opens up. How do we love? Paul says, faith, hope and love. The greatest of these is love. You never need to justify what you're doing if it's an act of love by something else. How? How we do this? I'm going to close. I'm going to get the team to come up. How we do this? It's really significant to me, that Jesus, I mentioned before, before, um, before Matthew 4, before Luke 4, history doesn't record a thing of Jesus. God's got this mission in the world to declare and demonstrate to people that it's good news. If, if Jesus, if the ways of God are the highest authority in your life, it's good news. Things change. Life's good. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. God had the full realm of everything that's open to the creator of the universe. Nothing's off the table. How did he choose to sort of instigate this project? He chose to send 
God in the form of baby. So that, that for 30 years, it was so a part of the fabric of that community and the world in which he was trying to reach that no one even noticed that he was there. He was so, we call that the incarnation. It came and was so deeply embedded in life and relationships and community that no one knew he was there. That must mean something to us, that God chose to do that. I've not been sent to Turkey or to Azerbaijan. These guys have. You know how you know that? They speak the language. They've chosen to live there. They're making sacrifices day after day. And Christy, that's why it means so much to us when the heart of a mother says, look, this is what I'm fighting. That means something to us because we recognise what you're doing and we honour it. And we're going to pray for that. That's what looking sent does. That's why the language, we, we won't, when we go, I like, I'm glad you call it outreach because we won't call it a mission. We'll go and we'll see some people doing mission. We'll do an outreach. We'll be a part of it. We'll support it. But you know, mission is where you're sent. We're sent to this community. Ever been to those churches where you walk out the door and it's got, you're now entering the mission field? It's a good reminder that actually the place in which we are sent is the place in which we choose to live, where we are incarnated, because that's the way Jesus did it. There's a role that people go on behalf of, and this is where OM is part of the kingdom. We, we're so thankful as the, the local church that groups like OM, because this is what Paul did as the apostle. He went early and he established, it's like the beachhead. It's like the breaking into new ground. This is what these guys are doing. But their goal will be to see a community of faith that will be there for generations and generations. You guys won't be there for generations. Well, who knows? We'd like you to come back. But, but that church will be there for generations. And so in a sense, OEM are working on behalf of the local church that doesn't even exist yet. We see Paul does this, right? He goes in on these mission trips. But then we've actually got most of the New Testament because... He comes back. He has these little missionary trips. He comes back and then he writes to the church that's there. And his language and his tone is great because he writes, oh, I pray for you guys and I'm so admiring your faith. And he takes not the position of you're doing my thing. How can I serve the thing that you're doing? Because you are, inc you are incarnate. You are the, establishing the kingdom of God in Ephesus, in Philippi, in Galatia. And he's just there writing to the local church because that's the group of body that's planted, that God, God's plan A over generations is to work out of people who are engaged deeply in the soil and the environment and the, and the, the community. Guess where we've been called? Guess where we've been sent? Yes, we're going to support the sending of God from people in our midst of our places, but fundamentally we are the people of God in Alderley. Fundamentally, we are the people of God called to demonstrate and declare the kingdom of God here and now. What does that look like here and now? We get this great privilege and, and that it's a responsibility to be a part of what God's doing around the planet. And so we take that seriously. But the mission of God will always be about going deep and long. And so we're so glad. Come, come up here, guys. Come on up here. So glad we get to be inspired by these guys. I'm going to invite our... Actually, I'm going to invite whoever wants to come up. I've asked Pete to pray because Pete's been, Pete and Dot have been another example to us of kind of living sent both here and overseas. Daniel and Marriott, come on up here as well. Again, people who've got a great sense of 
living both locally but then overseas. So come on up. I'm going to invite elders and whoever wants to come and surround these people. We're going to pray a prayer of blessing and sending. You make us stronger. You remind us, guys, of what it is to live sent. We're so uh, thankful for the way in which you've opened up your journey for us to come along. We, we want to respond. You know, we want to, um, we want to respond in our hearts and also practically so that you guys know that you are, in this sense, surrounded by people who love you. Um, but we're so, we're so thankful. On Friday night when we prayed for them, during the week I'd been asking for a word and I had a sense from 3 John uh, where it talks about uh, where John is talking to, um, he's saying that his prayer is that you would prosper even as your soul prospers. And I just believe Azerbaijan is going to be a place where, in, where all things prosper, their community life, their family prospers, their, their well-being prospers, the ministry prospers. It's out of that, even the, the wellness of their soul. And we just pray and believe that's going to be the case. I'm going to get you a microphone, Pete. Although with that voice, you often don't need one. Don't want to go. Declare it. Declare the kingdom of God, brother. Okay. Well, look, as we remember... Why don't we stand up? Why don't we stand up?